Welcome to Fresh Off The Boat. I'm delighted to uh, be chatting with Rishi Olikal. Uh, he went to Anglo-Chinese school in Singapore and then uh, pursued computer science at uh, Yale NUS. I remember visiting campus and meeting you there. At that time, you were also recruiting. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to get your resume in your first year. Uh, but that went off well, actually. We uh, went on to work with several kids in Singapore and Southeast Asia. Uh, but more about work I do a little later, because the conversation I want to have with you is about your experience at Yale and US uh, and having experienced Singapore, life in Singapore for a few years at Anglo-Chinese. How did you uh, transition into campus when you, grad you, you started camp you started 2014, right? 2012, so I think. I, I okay, think great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So tell us, how, how were the early days uh, at Yale and US? What did you so do? The, what did you like? So the interesting thing for me, though, is that uh, despite having done high school and then college in Singapore, I didn't migrate all that far in, in Singapore, which is already pretty small, right? Because the college, the campus is right down the road. It's about a five-minute walk from where I went to high school. So it was right ah. next door. You move right in and you already know the lay of the land and you know where everything is. And you just sort of move straight in. But it just went as smoothly as it could. It was a new campus. It was the newest campus in the U.S. And it still is, I think. Uh, it was in a sort of a newly built, uh, a larger campus of NUS as well. So all of the, the facilities were top-notch and the people were good. So, yeah, it was, it was a pretty easy move in. But obviously, the academics and uh, the curriculum, Yale and U.S., was also pioneering in a way to try new things out. How is it like being in the first few batches of Yale and US? Not just right in the beginning, settling in the academics, but also overall as a four-year experience. Fair. So that's okay. So that is something with a very kind of a long answer, right? The first part of it is definitely that the the mindset that they started the college with and the way that they came into it was way more American than Asian, right? So it was more, way more Yale than than NUS, and not even Yale. Maybe some of the more newer colleges. The way that the curriculum was designed. For I was one of the few people that came from Singapore or came from a Singaporean educational system that didn't find as much of, uh, had as much trouble adjusting because I came from IB. And uh, comparing to IB, it was uh, close enough that that transition was pretty easy. Now, the first two years or the first sort of first two batches, I think, had uh, some of the best experiences the college had to offer because it was a very um, startup school mindset. Right. Uh, you could create your own courses. A lot of us did. You could ask for new facilities. A lot of us did. I think uh, one of the things was uh, we ended up getting a $5 million uh, fabrication lab built simply because five of us at the college at the time wanted it. So they had a lot of uh, budget that they were trying to allocate into different ways of learning. But what was great was that they allowed the students to be a part of that as well. So I think for the, the first three batches, I think had the, the time of their lives just sort of designing the things that they wanted to learn and sort of having that be realized. Now I think it's a lot more fixed. So it's a liberal arts school and here you are, you, you know, you wanted to do a computer yeah. science major. Did you go decided? And uh, how, how, how did that decision pan out? Because the gen ed requirements would be uh, fairly rigorous and sort of demanding. Do you think it, worked for you in some ways or you would want it otherwise? Uh, I think it was one of the, uh, personally, I think it was one of the best calls I've made because the, uh, it also, the best thing about Yale and US was that it also gave you access to the resources of NUS computing and also Yale computer lab and the rest of it. So 
Uh, it wasn't lacking for depth if you went looking for it. But at the same time, I had done about a year at NUS Computing before as a research fellow and a little bit of research there. And I, it, to me, it felt very sort of one-sided, the, the curriculum and sort of how connected it was. So coming out of Yale and US, I think uh, having additional uh, training that is in the liberal arts, in philosophy or how to speak or how to write things definitely helped me. And I know it helped a lot of other people because I've spoken to employers who uh, have actively preferred hiring from liberal arts colleges that do computer science and things like that because it's just they're just way easier to, to talk to people that come out of these things. So if you would remember one or two or three classes that were non-STEM <laughs> and you loved them, which ones would they be? Oh, uh, I definitely did. Uh, so we all had to do about 12 to 15 that were non-STEM. And uh, I think I did about 20. The, the ones that I remember sort of very vividly were a couple of ones that, that covered, uh, you know, a deep history that went into sort of medieval history, things like that. And a couple of the other ones that were also very focused on writing. They were very focused on trying to build a narrative out of, out of whether that was history or that was politics or sort of global affairs, trying to build your own narrative and sort of your own arguments. I think that definitely helped. So we are living in historic times, to say the least, so you probably have some uh, ways to uh, reflect on that. Uh, do you think, uh, I'm switching gears a little bit, but talking about your work currently in technology, uh, what opportunities does this historic moment have? And also maybe a longer answer would be, what exactly do you, you know, question is, what exactly do you really do right now? Right. And how do you see the world and the need for tech? Got it, got it. So, uh, so I'll, I'll try and try and segment that as, as well as I can. Uh, so uh, the, the company that I'm currently working for, uh, we've been around for about a year, year and a half, and we were working on sort of risk assessment and sort of analysis uh, for maritime. So for vessels, we're analyzing the, 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 the routes that those vessels are on. When uh, the current situation that we're in hit, sort of everything changed for everybody, especially for, for maritime. Now, what that meant was we live in a world with sort of large globalized trade routes, and those sort of rely on people being able to move really freely, uh, items being able to move really freely, vessels being able to move freely. And if one or two parts of those break down, that's already a bad day because nothing gets through. Now, everything was starting to break down. Countries were completely closing their borders and not allowing people to get off and on the vessels. Vessels didn't know where to go, and they were just starting to pile up. Meanwhile, they had to still move their cargo and at the same time, feed the people that are on these vessels. So we sort of redirected a large part of our resources to, to solving that problem. And I think that's how it's impacted my life and sort of our lives the most in that uh, there was also a huge opportunity in that. Because the, the, the current situation is that uh, you've got about a million to about a million and a half uh, uh, people, individuals stuck on vessels off the coast of different countries. And it's turning into a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, it's definitely uh, something which no one expected. Uh, yeah. And hearing from you about uh, shipping and maritime, not just cargo, but people movement is uh, something I had not thought of. There's so many logistical issues to look at. How do you apply computer science in your job at this company? And what is it that your training really was about? So that two parts of the question again. You know, how do you figure out what you learn and then gradually how did you apply it in your current job? 
Okay, so uh, a lot of the training that, that I had in early college, uh, I have to say, doesn't really apply to, to industry as often happens in STEM fields, right? Uh, education and sort of the standard syllabuses are pretty far behind where industry really is. But thankfully, the couple of the, the, the work that I did while I was in college and some, uh, some of the courses from NUS especially uh, helped sort of transition into what the, the work that I'm doing now and the work that I've done right before that. And what we do effectively is to aggregate data at large scales and then run algorithms on it to find paths so that things can keep moving. So if you've got you know, 200 countries that have completely different immigration restrictions, visa restrictions, uh, travel restrictions, and you've got about five to 6,000 vessels with different combinations of people on board and different routes that they've got to get their cargo through, you look at all that data and then you try and figure out okay, how do you route this vessel so that the people on there can get off and new people can get on and the cargo gets where it needs to go? And that's a really complex problem that's hard for a human being to solve, but it, that's where tech really shines. So it's a bit like operations research, yeah. data science, uh, a lot of data science, of course. So when you look at computer science and education in college, you know, there are students who do... Uh, specializations like one of course is MLAI data science the other could be uh, web app UX UI there could be many others embedded systems uh, so uh, at Yale and US did you see that same depth and uh, resources being uh, available to tinker with different things within tech so I would say that that depth existed when it came to ML and AI Right, especially because we were living through one of the biggest deep tech booms, especially in Singapore, that the, the entire country was going through. So a lot of resources went into crafting good machine learning sort of AI courses and uh, providing students with that sort of deep depth of understanding. The other side of things, though, I have to say, I have, I'm yet to find a university curriculum. And I've, uh, I've done the Yale one and I've done the NUS one. I've done the NUS one that uh, that even sufficiently approaches industry in um, in sort of standard uh, product building, right? How do you consider the design of the product and the, the, the rest of it? But ML, AI, I think they covered it. So do you think uh, organizations like General Assembly, Flatiron, and other academies, which have mushroomed, which give industry-specific full-stack engineering training, uh, do a better job for people who would want to just get a job? Okay, I think that's a, so it, I've got very mixed feelings. I've hired people from, from uh, both uh, Unacademy and uh, General Assembly. There's one in Singapore as well. And uh, I think it is a step in the right direction for a lot of these things. But personally, and this is my opinion only, I think they churn people out way too fast, right? I think there's not enough time to get enough breadth or enough time for that information to sink in or enough time to really understand that information before you are pushed out. So that is also the problem. A lot, uh, the, and the other part of it is I've started, ended up preferring university graduates. And I think I'm preferred in a lot of ways as a university graduate because you learn how to learn. If you spend the four years right or the three years right, you learn how to learn and then you do that. So your current role is a CTO. It's like a yeah. C-suite job, and uh, uh, it's not just about uh, you know being an engineer. Uh, what do you think are your three strengths, and uh, in in the current role that you have of leadership in a company which does tech? 
Ah, okay. That, that, so that's, that's, a, that's a really big one. I'll give you one and then you're going to have to prod me <laughs> to, get, to get the rest of it. Um, so I'd say that I, I, I found myself able to communicate really well uh, when it comes to uh, sort of an impedance or communication bandwidth mismatch between different people because previous jobs and also have, having gone to Yale and US, which was just very multicultural, I've had to work with people and myself included where English wasn't always the first language. It's people that speak differently. The cultures and the way that things are expressed to you are very, very, very different. So I've worked with PRCs or worked with people from India of different cultures. And I think that's, that's definitely come in handy. Right. So also, I'm going to ask you a few questions about uh, how the future of education might look like in your head. You know, you've had a in-campus, in-person sort of experience and now the world seems to have gone upside down so for students coming in or currently in college what do you think tech could do to solve part of what's going on so i think tech definitely already i mean we, we would be in a much bigger hole without tech that's for sure right without just sort of the easy video conferencing and just the way that you can reach people we would be in much bigger uh a much bigger uh problem but uh, the, the, if this continues, if this is where it goes, then I'd also see that your organizations that, that accept students or sort of new grads will have to pick up a lot of the slack in sort of training people to work within groups, training people to communicate better. And there's a lot of soft skills that you pick up in college or in high school where you go to with a lot of people in person that you have to negotiate things in a room. Uh, I think those, those will still be relevant moving on unless you're joining a completely digital company like GitHub or something, and you never actually sit in a room with the people that hired you or work for you. Uh, I think companies are going to end up having to pick up a lot of that slack to, to train people. Super. So I know the uh, ecosystem in Singapore, it's, it really promotes tech startups and overall uh, jobs. We've seen students who've been earnest get jobs quite easily in Singapore. Uh, what is it like and where do you see? Is it changing on the ground? Is there a slowdown in the economy? Or are things are as good for the kids who graduated this year? Like so there's the a, well, I'll give you the, the, the somewhat uh, in-depth answer there, right? What I'm seeing around me and what, what a lot of other people are seeing around me is that it hasn't been a slowdown just yet, right? Because US markets have kept strong enough, that means that a lot of the leverage and a lot of the capital in the markets is still moving. So a lot of companies that got funded, I still have their funding. None of that has been pulled, right? A lot of the, the other companies that got funded are clients to these companies. So money's still moving, right? In fact, I know way too many companies that are actually hiring in this because a lot of people are getting laid off from, from other parts of the world. But the, uh, but the one thing that they all have in common, the people that, at least that, that I speak to, is that they expect the other shoe to drop sometime in the next seven to eight months. Right. Once that capital run drops off and the markets actually go into freefall, if they do, then you're going to start seeing problems. But so far, it's over here, it's been business as usual. That's interesting to note. Uh, yeah, I think Singapore has been kind of a front runner in developing a service economy. Yeah. And our, our students, in fact, my next interview is also a student who uh, is currently in uh, ESSEC Business School. So it'll be a fun Singapore afternoon for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of this is possible virtually. And uh, on our channel, we are trying to sort of also make sure that we have 
these videos indexed so yes. that people can um, search for the right information and ignore my rambling from time to time <laughs> oh no <laughs> worries these are, these, <laughs> these are, yeah so tech makes it all possible and it's uh, just fascinating how covid uh, has made us rethink uh, even a simple thing like a counseling company what do you think uh, have been your reflections during this time of lockdown uh i mean i started out as a developer right so the, 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 that that part of me is is perfectly all right not having enough human contact and just working away especially because these have been the, the busiest four weeks of my life just trying to get things going uh in under new circumstances the rest of it is i mean you do you do uh miss uh the, the way that the world or a small kind of country like singapore used to come together and you get really good at at talking to screens right <laughs> <laughs> right so what 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 inspiration do you draw do you read do you follow youtube channels do you uh, you know listen to podcasts if you could name two three things uh, authors books podcasts youtube channels whatever so Long. i uh, i read a whole bunch of science fiction haven't in a while uh well, haven't since this started uh there's a bunch of youtube channels on uh just sort of people making things or uh, doing things that uh that i watch which one Okay uh so what the, the one that comes to mind immediately is the one called This Old Tony uh and it's just a decently done channel at least in my opinion uh in that he he makes things that it's it's decently presented uh okay. another one uh would be Tom Scott and I think he's he's a lot more mainstream but uh there's also a lot of uh, good information there fine uh the other thing i for students who would be applying to yale and us in the future and i think many more from india will apply yeah. given its proximity to the country uh what do you think makes a good yale and us applicant in your mind have you thought about it i'm sure many people would question pose this question to you okay so i i can tell you that uh, this is something that that used to come up a lot while i was in college uh and at the time i would say that the the ideal yellow news applicant would be someone that most of the time most of the people that ended up at yellow news if you filtering by that were third culture kids right so people that probably moved around a bunch uh so are understanding of different cultures and that comes across uh are kind of more all rounded than a lot more spiky a lot more in in uh really good at one thing uh kind of students kind of jack of all people that ended up in the US i have to qualify it by saying that i i've been hearing from recent grads or recent recent entrants that that profile has changed quite a bit but i am unsure in which direction and as far as what do you think they found in your candidates or in your essay what do you think worked sorry in your application what do you think worked in your application your essay or some extracurricular or some preparation in high school that that really honestly, showed that I, you had a spike honestly i am not sure uh, <laughs> it, it might be that a large what uh, like a large batch of my friends from different schools around uh, uh singapore all ended up at yale anyways so i knew about 20 to 30 people from the first batch before i even interviewed and i think that might have that might have affected things so it's not about figuring out what and how they are constructing a class the leadership you know yeah. pool of students or the kids who get the highest gpa or the sat scores 
Okay, or I have great personal story. I think they I think now it it is that way because it's it's everything's formed a lot more. There is a proper admissions department that takes care of things a lot more. But in the in the first uh, two to three batches it was a lot more uh, who knew who and it was people were allowed to use their gut a lot more in who got in and who didn't. Because they were trying to just build a class that was kind of representative of what the people there would like. Now I think it's a lot more firm and they've got more stronger guidelines is what I understand. Okay, now we're going to move to the last segment of our uh, uh, podcast and uh, this is rapid fire. Okay. So if you were to uh, think of any embarrassing moment, failure or mistake in your life and what were the reflections from that during college or at work? Uh I think one of the 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 more embarrassing moments of my life was my uh the first ever uh internship that I was that, that I applied for. Right? I it was just like a, a perfect storm of things happened that day because I had an interview set up with them and uh my phone dies and then I I I put the SIM in something else and then that dies as well and I couldn't get a cab it was raining I ended up getting in a cab and I ended up sort of 20 minutes late. Right? I get there I profusely apologize to the person for for a good 5 minutes. And then he leads me into a room and then we have a little bit of chat and then we talk to him and I just get keep getting hit with these really hard questions and I leave and obviously I didn't get it and I find out later that I apologized to the wrong person right so the 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 person that I was meeting with which was the CEO of this uh, uh, robotic company in Singapore was just beyond livid that I showed up that late and did not spend enough time apologizing uh yeah it's, it's one of those things that you think about and you just kind of be embarrassed about it for the rest of your life <laughs> that's great learning but uh so if you were to give some advice to uh, students who are in high school or at college uh and this could be general advice about dealing with failures or uncertainty especially now dealing with uncertainty yeah uh what do you think reflecting back on your experiences and i'm sure there are many uh times when it was not all hunky dory and you were not just cto at <laughs> 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 a tech company So yeah what do you think uh, worked worked for you in uh, those lows or times of uh, failure or you know uh, send what you advise in general people should do okay so because this is advice because this is general it's going to feel very uh, fortune cookie but something that's always helped me and i think some of my proudest moments came from some of my darkest moments which always came from looking at the problems that you have and realizing that if it's uncertain if there's a lot of uncertainty if it's a crisis there's usually an opportunity in there somewhere you know what i mean there's there's usually something to be done differently in there somewhere any any industry that you look at if it's in crisis then there's a there are strong opportunities starting to happen most of the world's uh, power and wealth and happiness and a lot of the world was built in times of crisis so i think that's something that keeps me going so with that optimism and uh, a simple message i would say uh, I'm going to wrap things up. Thank you Rishi for spending these 15 20 minutes with us. Yeah, no, I'm like... sure our audiences would love to get in touch with you and if there are questions I'll send them your way. We will also be doing panels where students who are interested in tech or even match yeah. them up with non-techies and artists and creatives and look forward to inviting you to those sessions as well. <laughs> no worries. Thank I, you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is, this has been super fun.